0: Well, it goes back to the thing of everything disappears. When I'm on the water, um, especially on the water, everything that I know or have problems with, my demons, everything disappears, and I, I kind of become one with the water and, and, and the rod and the line, and it, it, I'm just very in tune with it. And the same thing goes with the bites, everything just disappears, so it kind of resets my brain with those thoughts, and I'm good to go. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world, featuring insight from guides and gear reps, conversation with resort managers, thoughts on entomology, discussions on fly patterns and destinations, and plenty of fish stories. Most importantly, it's an exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here's your host, Mark Hopley, with this episode of Fly Fishing 97.
1: It's my pleasure and I truly mean that to have Brian Bergeson on the program today from Rip Lips Muskie. Brian, thanks for coming on the program. Hey,
0: thanks for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: So now, I, I just you got to tell me some stories and I know you got a lot of them, but let's get in let's get right into it. What what got you started in in this crazy fly tying fly
0: fishing world? Oh, my grandfather, my grandfather put the illness of fly fishing in me at about Probably about four years old I started. I think like three days before my fifth birthday, I was fishing Great Lakes Steelhead on Knife River. Um, And ever since then, um, I was just bitten by the fly fishing bug. And so I cut my teeth with uh, brook trout. I I fell in love with brook trout at a very young age.
1: I read somewhere you tie something like 300 and... Four days a year, or something crazy like that.
0: Yeah, I tried to. Before my illness, I used to, uh, I used to tie a musky fly every single day of the week, every day wow. of the year. Um, now it's more I, I gear. I try to sit down and I try to tie at least a trout fly a day. But I, I like to sit behind the vise for at least a flyer, sit behind the vice every day that I possibly can.
1: I I totally relate to that. I'm just curious, Brian. What what is that therapy for you? What is it?
0: Yeah, it's therapy on a different, on a bunch of different levels. Um, you know, it's my antidepressant. Um, it's my sobriety from alcohol. Um, it's therapy just from life in general. Yeah, definitely. I deal with a very major, rare um, nerve disease that causes chronic pain in my hand from fishing. So, you know, sitting behind the bicep when I can, it's my therapy. It's what keeps me going every day. How long have
1: you been dealing with that?
0: Uh, I would say about five years now. I, um, I started musky fly fishing and fly tying um, really heavily. Um, I didn't pay attention to my tendonitis in a golfer's elbow in my right hand or my right elbow. And so I couldn't grip the fly rod anymore. And I went to the doctor and they did a couple nerve releases on my elbows. And then, um, I just basically never healed my tendonitis. So they went in and did a surgery, which was a mistake. And I, I woke up from surgery and I had a very rare condition called chronic regional pain syndrome that really there's, there's not much known about it. And it's just a crazy nerve disease with no cure. So ever since then, you know, it's been tough.
1: How did you come to determine that spending time on the water and spending time at the vice was helping this?
0: Well, you know, from a very young age, I've always realized that just therapy in general for my depression and everything since a young kid, that the water and the vice was that, that was it for me. Especially when I hit a river, um, everything disappears in life and my art form comes out. You know, I don't just call fishing fishing. It's more, I'm an artist out there. You know, we're all artists in our own ways, the way we cast, the way we tie. But um very very young age, I learned about fly tying and fly fishing therapy. And that's my best therapy. And I'd say fly tying is more my therapy than anything.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that. And I totally agree with you, because I'm in the same boat. I know that when I sit at the vice, there's no problems in the world. And you're you're thinking, I think, about time on the water and, hey, is this going to work? And, and you're also... Yep. You're you're harnessing some creative skills there, aren't you?
0: Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And um, I mean, if I can't fish, I'll, I'll sit behind the vice. And a lot of times, I don't even tie. I'll just sit behind the vice, just sitting at the fly lab, looking at it all and thinking about it. You know, is is a very good therapy. You don't necessarily have to tie, but you know, just the vice itself is therapy for me. Yeah, and the the whole world just kind of disappears.
1: Yeah, I get that. So um, while we're talking about tying, what kind of vice are you tying on?
0: Um, I. <laughs> I am a vice collector. I have a whole bunch of them. But what I have fallen in love with within the last couple of months is the basic Renzetti Traveler. Um, it's become my go-to vice for everything from giant saltwater patterns to little tiny trout midges. Um, but if I'm tying musky flies, I'm using my um, Dynaking Ultimate Index.
1: I'm curious, are you tying on a pedestal or are you, are you got the, the clamp on there?
0: No, I use all pedestals. Okay. I use all pedestals. I've come to learn to love them, and it's just the way it is. I can move the vise a lot with my hands. I like to be able to move it, you know, because I'm always twisting and turning, and especially when you're tying big musky stuff. I mean, I've got a rotary, but, you know, I like to look head on or on the other side, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. So I I tie on all all pedestals.
1: When you're tying your musky flies or any flies in general, I I see you sitting here at the vise. What what kind of bobbin are you using? And I want to get into the... Uh, just just a heads oh, up yeah. for you i want to get into the details and and, and figure out what, what yeah, you yeah do dude,
0: right on i like it um for my musky bugs and for bigger saltwater stuff where i've got to put a lot of torque on that bobbin i'm using just the loon ergonomical the yellow and black standard loon bobbin um it's one of the toughest bobbins out there money can buy for what we do I, i've broken a lot of bobbins and this one i've had for probably two years now since it came out and i haven't Dented it, nothing, no twist, and it's a great bobbin. Otherwise, I tie on right bobbins.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's my yeah. go-to too. Hey, um, so what kind of ought yep. are we talking in the thread? I imagine musky flies got to be pretty durable, so you're probably using some pretty pretty substantial thread.
0: Yeah, um, on my standard stuff, I'm just using a 210 denier. Yeah. Um, I used to use a lot of 280, but you get a lot of thread buildup on it. You know, you got to watch your your thread torques on it. otherwise I use a 210 and then if I'm getting, if I'm tying these bucktail changers where I'm trying to really be precise on, you know, 20 millimeter shanks, I tie on a 140. Um, Mm -hmm. People say you have a lot of time breaking, breaking it with deer hair. Um, It's just all about the wraps and right. Once you tie so many, you get used to it. So I, I try to use 140 as much as I can.
1: When you're finishing off a fly, are you doing a standard whip finish or are you doing a hand whip finish? How do you finish it
0: off? Um, I used a whip finish in a set of three, basically three, three, three turns and three whip finishes. I learned that from April on one of her things. Yeah. Good stuff. So I do that and then I'll finish it with super glue also. Ah, but I, a lot of guys just do super glue, but I do like to have those knots reinforced. I've seen super glue. You know, I get so many fish or the sunlight, it'll chip off. So I like to have that. I like to have that extra security in the head of the fly.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and w- w- what's a standard musky hook? I mean, these these are pretty, like I say, pretty big flies.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm using most of my hooks. I'm using are spinnerbait ultra points and six odds. Um, anywhere from four to six odds. I use some Andrex hooks for some smaller applications, but most of mine are six odds. Um, if they're double flies, I'll put say I'll go to a four odd in the back hook and a six odd in the front. But the front hook's usually always a six odd.
1: Okay. And what about other tools? So uh, what kind of scissors are you using? Uh, Let's get into it.
0: Uh, Scissors. Scissors are all Dr. Slick except for one pair of Montana Fly Company scissors I have. They're red um, rubberized coating. I've never seen them. My buddy got them um, a long time ago, and they're the best deer hair scissors I've ever used. But otherwise, it's all Dr. Slick scissors yeah i've tried everything out there and dr slick's the best
1: you gotta have some some serious commitment in my mind to be a professional fly tire because i mean as somebody that ties recreational i have soul flies but to to, i do it for myself primarily and i think most tires do but when you're doing it for other people and yourself do you let me ask you this do you have any issues sitting down and tying 30 of one thing or do you mix it up a little bit How, how does that work for you
0: Each order I tie is custom to the customer. I I ask them where they're fishing, what type of water. I really want to customize each fly and each pattern for each customer because it's, especially in a musky game, everywhere you go, the water clarity is different. It's tannic or it's clear. So I really want to make sure they get the right product. So every fly I do is custom. So it's kind of nice. You know, I might do an order of 12, but each of them are different. They might kind of be the same style, but.
1: Are you researching the heck out of these baitfish? And, 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 because obviously baitfish oh, are yeah. different
0: everywhere. Yes, 100%. And that's the first question I ask about baitfish. But yeah, I do I do a lot of research just on the bodies of waters. And over the years, I've kind of learned. So I've, I don't have to do as much research now. But yeah, I do, I do research on everything for every fish there is. I do a lot of international fly tying, too. So I do a lot of research on them.
1: Isn't it It's amazing the tools we have at our disposal? I mean, you type in any baitfish fish. Pattern just hit images, and you got all of a sudden you got 30 uh, images of red sided shiners looking at you. For me, I I mean, we didn't have that 30 years
0: ago. No, absolutely not. It was just, you know, what you've seen on the water. I mean, when I started, I, I, I started in Blue, Minnesota. We didn't have fly shops, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have nothing. So it was just you go out there and see what's out there and come back and, you know, tie it. But now it's nice you research for any part of the country
1: And the beautiful thing that I find you, you see these famous tires and you see these patterns from all over the world and you just put your your design your little tweak on it and that can sometimes make a lot yep. of difference.
0: Yeah oh 100 percent I get a lot of requests for certain flies and I just put my little tweaks on them and it, it can make the difference of everything mm. um, just I mean just everything yeah just the little tweaks and that goes for everything from trout nymphs to dry flies to big giant streamers.
1: Tell me a little bit about what goes into that creativity when you're trying
0: to develop a new pattern. Oh, you know, the creativity is you kind of, you you fish a lot. I do it after fishing. When I go out fishing, I'll tie something, and I'll go out and see how it fishes and reacts or how the fish reacts, and I'll come home and tie it so I keep progressing that pattern and keep progressing that pattern. And I don't know. I I think about this all day long, so ideas will just click in my head, Um, and sometimes at the bites I feel it, the creativity, you know, you get those creativity juices flowing, and sometimes I don't. Oh, so yeah. it's really hard to say, man. It's just really what kind of mood I'm in that day um, and what's on my mind.
1: You hit something that really strikes with me. And I know that after I spent a whole day on the water and I think what worked, what didn't work, the second I put my head on the pillow, sometimes there's not a lot of sleep going on.
0: She's like, man, what, what if I would have tried this? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the biggest thing I preach at all my demos and shows is when you go out fishing, this is fresh on your mind. You come home and Whether you get it on the hook, you know, just get something on the hook or get something on paper because when you go to sleep, it might change. But it's so fresh in your mind when you're done fishing or carry a notebook, and that's how you can progress with all your fly patterns.
1: We were were out last week fishing – a lake that's known to have some pretty big fish, and they take uh, basically they're blackwater rainbow trout. So they're feeding on bait fish, and I'll tell you what, uh, we're using yep. some balance patterns in uh, ten feet of water, and getting snapped yeah. off, snapped off. And I'm thinking, why, why don't I make these flies bigger, stronger, sturdier, kind of probably more like musky patterns?
0: Yeah, definitely, huh. definitely. You know, and, that, and that's something I take pride in too. My musky flies, they last. Um, I put a lot of pride in them and I make them really, really, really strong. So they last multiple fish. People are, you know, they, they spend a lot of time and a lot of money on these flies. So I want them to last multiple fish. I mean, fish destroy stuff. So that's something I take pride in. I really like my stuff to be tough, whether it's for me or a customer.
1: I got to confess. I have not ever fly fished for muskie. Am I I missing out?
0: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You're going to need a therapist, but yeah, you're missing out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's what you'll need a therapist. I mean, it's, It's a game that most people don't get to experience. It's another predator hunting another predator, and those predators are almost hunting you. They're very smart creatures. It's it's a different nature, Um, but yeah, it'll get in your blood and take over your life.
1: So, tell me where you're doing a lot of your guiding.
0: Um, You know, I don't guide much anymore since I got these diseases. That helped friends out. Um, Right now, I'm just kind of fishing, having fun, Um, you know. But I, I do a lot. I do a lot up in musky country. Um, which is Hayward Wisconsin area on those rivers um we have where I live there's probably five tiger musky lakes within 20 minutes of me um, there's musky water everywhere I live so it, it's really it's wherever
1: so you're you're right in the heart of it
0: yeah oh yeah I'm right in the heart of it okay. I really like to float the rivers I got a drift boat so we do a lot of floating
1: what about still water musky
0: lakes yep I got a big boat too and we're running big boats out there with them guys and um, the only problem we have is the wind you know, casting 450 grains in the wind sometimes ain't the funnest or the safest. Well,
1: I, I can see, too, if you got a, you got an issue with your elbow, that would that would be somewhat of a challenge.
0: Yeah, I use an uh, 11-foot surf rod for that with a 550-grain line, so I can two-hand overcast. Um, I can cast into any okay. situation with the wind, and it helps my elbow tremendously. If I can, I'll even use a four-weight switch rod to fish drive lines.
1: So you're fishing primarily Minnesota, Wisconsin? Yes, uh, you mentioned, you mentioned to me on the phone the other day that you were spending some time up uh, north of the border too.
0: Yeah. Uh, outdoor life sent me and a couple of my buddies, the writer, Dave Karzinski and Tom Hazleton, his brother sent us to Chapleau, Ontario. And we went up and fish Lake Wapagadouche and I forget the other lake's name, but we took a train to these two lakes. So we went to go hunt pike for a week and a half in Brooktrop.
1: How was that? Richard.
0: Oh, it was fantastic! It, it was an experience I'll never be able to have again. Wow! Um, it's untouched waters. You take a train in. There's no one on the lakes. You, you know the, the fish are very prone to bite. They don't. They've probably never seen flies. Um, we we're probably the first people to fish some of this water with flies. So it, it, it was a really good experience. It really was.
1: That's something that I was thinking about. Is obviously, I, I read a lot of articles on, on musky fishing, pike fishing in general with flies, but it, it begs the question how many people are really doing it?
0: Um, you know, up there, there's, I only see one guy, and they I, they said we were the first up there. So there's not very many up there. Down here and in Wisconsin, in the States, um, musky fly fishing and pike fly fishing is becoming very big, mm-hmm. but there's still only a select few doing it, really doing it, you know.
1: So you're, how, how many years you've been fly fishing for Muskie now?
0: Oh, I would say 15. Wow. Um, started taking it serious right when I got sober about six and a half years ago.
1: Tell me, I don't want to get too personal, and I don't want to talk about things you're not comfortable talking about, but you strike me as a pretty open guy. Tell me a little bit yeah, about Yeah, i an open book, man. Tell me a little bit about that journey.
0: Man, that's a journey. I've taken a couple of journeys like that. Um, um, you know, fly should saved my life a few times with that, but the last one was with alcohol, and you know, me and alcohol just didn't get along. I'm not the type of guy that can just have one beer. I'm not the type of guy that can just throw one cast. So it kind of fits perfect, perfect. But it was for the best decision of my life. Um, by me getting sober, I took to musky fly tying, and, and that's what got me sober was musky fly tying. Legitimately, there's nothing else that did it besides musky fly tying.
1: That's awesome.
0: Um, and that's when I really, really took it serious. And this is, like I said, my vice is my sobriety. Anywhere I go, I bring my bikes and fly tie and stuff. If I'm having a rough day or this and that, or you know, there, I go tie a fly. It's my sobriety. So it's,
1: how long you have you uh, been sober now?
0: Uh, I've been sober from booze for about six and a half years.
1: Wow! Congratulations. That's awesome.
0: Thanks, my man. Best decision I ever made. Don't get me wrong. I still like my. I still like to have a scotch, but it's the best decision I ever made.
1: Yeah, um, I wouldn't be where
0: I'm at today without it.
1: So maybe speak a little bit how, and maybe it's hard to verbalize. I know it would be for me, but how does creativity, fly tying, time on the water, how does that help with addiction issues?
0: Well, it goes back to the thing of everything disappears. When I'm on the water, um, especially on the water, everything that I know or have problems with, my demons, everything disappears and I. I kind of become one with the water and and, and the rod and the line and it, I'm just very in tune with it. And the same thing goes with the bites; everything just disappears. So
1: mm.
0: it kind of resets my brain with those thoughts, and I'm good to go.
1: I, I was talking to a fishing buddy there last week on the program, and and that's 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 for me is what we don't really talk about. And when you're out there fishing, you're fly fishing or whatever type of fishing you do, you're not thinking about anything else. You're focused on what you're doing and and the thought, it's almost like a meditation, isn't it?
0: Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent like a meditation. And even if there is some other things passing through your brain, it's usually happy thoughts. Yeah. It's usually good memories. It's, you know, it's good. It's all good and positivity. There's really no negative negativity going on.
1: When was the last time you came off the water and just said, well, that, that sucked.
0: Yeah, right. I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever said that. No. It's no. It, it, I mean, fishing is an amazing thing.
1: Yeah. That's cool. Hey, if you could change one thing about fly fishing, Brian, I like to ask all my guests this, whether it's uh equipment, gear, outlook, the uh the the pastime in general, what what would you like to change about fly fishing or fly time?
0: Oh boy. Social media. <laughs> <laughs> now, don't get me wrong i, I love I, I i love social media it's brought me with some of my best friends and fishing buddies from around the world right and what it does to evol- it, it's evolutionizing everything but at the same time it's ruining fishing
1: tell me what you mean by that
0: uh, you know there's everybody wants to share their spot everybody and it's great post photos i love doing it too it makes you feel good i went on did this you know But everybody's so quick to give up a spot or everybody's so quick to judge on something. And, you know, I used to go to these spots where I wouldn't see anybody or I might see a couple of locals and, and, you know, everything's cool. Now I pull up to a parking lot and there's 30 cars on there. Yeah. You know, so I, it's ruined a lot of the fishing spots. There's a lot of good with it, but that's one thing I would change. But without it, we probably wouldn't have the musky fly fishing game or the Taman fly fishing game. We wouldn't have a lot of that shared out there. would still be stuck in the 1990s.
1: That's well put. Because, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I have this love-hate relationship with that, but it's like anything. There's always another side to the story. So as much as it drives me crazy, it also pushes me to do more.
0: Yes, 100%. 100%. Yeah, I've got two world record Taman on my fly patterns from a customer of my mic. And I would have never linked up with him and been able to have the chance to tie these flies to go to Mongolia and Siberia without the internet. So that's where I love it. You know, it's it, it is a double-edged sword.
1: Those are some crazy-looking fish, aren't they?
0: Oh man, they're they're ginormous. They're almost scary. One day I will catch one.
1: Well, they're not dissimilar to a muskie in a lot of ways, really.
0: Yeah, you know, I call them the musky brown trout. Yeah they, they kind of got that predator instinct to them and they'll fight and they, they kind of hunt like a brown. I, I, it's just a cool fish. I think it's like two or three fish wrapped up in the lung. Yeah, They're very lucky to have those over there and we have great protection going for them now, you know,
1: and it's getting better. But think think about it, without social media, like you said, there, there's an opportunity yeah. that would have been missed.
0: 100%, 100%. And that, that's the positive part of it. It's just, you know. I'm kind of salty at some of my fishing spots have been ruined I've been fishing since a kid. So that's probably where my social media comes from. But, you know, it's a love-hate relationship. What do you do?
1: But, I, you know, I think that's a time thing, too. I think back 30 years to some of the lakes that I used to fish that held some monster trout. Now you go up there and you're catching 8, 12-inch fish, and there's probably uh, 10 yeah. or 12 other guys with you.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and everybody wants to keep—I have no problem with people keeping fish, but it seems like they want to take pictures. And that's the problem I have, you know, laying them on the banking system that, and to get a picture for social media. So, you know, it's another downfall of it. They may not be keeping it, but I'm just a big conservation. I have nothing against people killing fish, yeah. but, you know, I see a lot of that, and I think that has a lot to do with stuff, too.
1: As as a guy that's never fished for muskie, maybe t- how resilient are those fish in the catch and release game?
0: Um, In cold weather, you know, in springs and falls, colder weather, they're as long as you take care of them, you don't fight them too long. The musky fishing's is not about the fight. You basically want to hook it and get it in that net ASAP, hmm. um, and just revive it and make sure it goes. But once the water temp hits eighty degrees, you should really stop fishing. Right. They build a, they build a lot of lactic acid up, and they, they're very prone to. I mean, yeah, we've spent an hour, hour and a half trying to revive a fish. Yeah.
1: Well, I see it with trout too in warm water. I mean, they're. I mean, let's let's face it, trout are are, are, are probably not. Uh, your—I mean—they're not like a bass or a smallie or or a large Those fish are, are carp. They're pretty resilient fish, but a trout is pretty sensitive.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, especially trout, especially trout. Yeah, it's it's all about just the water temperatures. But with the muskies, they build the lactic acid up like the northern. So you don't really want to try to mm. fight them as much as you can. You want you know it's more about the pursuit of it and then they all craziness for fifteen thirty seconds and get in and that.
1: I gotta. I want to ask you who who you learned from and where you got your passion you might have alluded to it earlier uh, in the program but where did that passion all start uh, and who did you learn the most from
0: from my grandfather uh, my grandfather he's also sober and got sober from fly he's been fly fishing he's one of the north shore steel legends on the great lakes here but he taught me and installed this passion in me of it I went everywhere with him he took me every single night um, whether it's brook trail fishing steelhead fishing sunfish, fishing whatever it may be and then I had some mentors along the way of it. Um, but really, what really got me is I was on Youth Fly Fishing Team USA in 1999 when I was 17. So six of us got picked over the country to go fish in the world competition. And I formed such a good brotherhood with six of these, five of these guys. And, you know, that's, that's where it really got me. Yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. We got to go try out in Arkansas. And I got to, I mean, I got to train with Davey Watt and Dave Whitlock. And Wow. Wayne Hoda I mean these amazing people in the fly fishing industry at a very young age so you know right then and there it was pretty cool
1: I could tell your passion runs deep no doubt hey what uh, any crazy fishing stories you must have a few from over the years spending so much time on the water
0: oh so many so many crazy fishing stories um, anything you can share
1: <laughs> yeah
0: I can share one I, I got one of my favorite ones is I got two muskies and three casts one day wow <laughs> yeah i was rowing for a buddy i was rowing a couple of guides or you know just helping along rowing and my elbow I, I can row a boat just fine but when i start fishing my hand i can't hold the fly rod so i was rowing all day and it was raining and these guys haven't seen nothing and they're like all right you stand up and fish I'm like no i'm rowing so i stood up and fish and i was just kind of hucking my line out there a little bit while the other guy was snagged and i was literally flipping my line out there and i stuck a fish landed that fish all right i said all right i'll sit down you know and sure enough, we got down about three quarters through the float. Kid said he's tired, and I was like, all right, I'll fish for the last quarter mile or so. Threw one cast, had a chase, threw another cast, got that fish, I put my fly rod down, and that was that. <laughs> that was kind of my hero moment of life, you know I mean? It's not too often that happens, you know? That's a story that'll stick out for. I and mean, these guys spent two weeks on this river, and I, I, I felt really bad, but, you know, it was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, try duplicating that.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's why I just sat down. I took my rod apart. and I just sat down, and we rode all the rest of the way. I'm like, I'm good.
1: So I, I want to ask you a little bit more about your uh, your fly tying. And w- when you're sitting there and you're looking at patterns, and I, I'm wondering, like, first off, where do you get your supplies?
0: Um, You know, I buy a lot of my supplies just anywhere I go. If I see a good neck that will work with the feathers, I'll buy it. If I see good bucktail somewhere, whether I need it or not, I'll buy it. Hmm. Um, but there's a few good spots to get them from. We got a good local fly shop, lungs Fly Shop. Um, I try to buy my bucktails from him. But otherwise, we got Brad Bowen, primo Tail, his feathers, and you know his deer tail are really good. It's private, it's better than what you get. But I just kind of on the lookout every time I go for the musky stuff. Um, I just buy as a as I see it because it's hard to find good bucktails and feathers. But
1: I was gonna say it sounds it sounds like you're shopping like a predator, like a muskie. You, <laughs> you see something you like, you go after it.
0: Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Yep, I'm very, very, very selective in my musky stuff. And then for all my trout stuff, I usually order a lot from uh, Montana Fly Company. I'm on tire with them. Um, but otherwise, man, after 30 years, I've accumulated so much, I really don't buy much anymore. So
1: do you, I heard through the grapevine that you may have a, uh, a new pattern uh, that you're tying for those guys that you developed.
0: Yeah, um, well, let's see, with Montana Fly, you're talking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have my double demon pattern. Um, they bought three. They bought three colors of my double demon musky pattern, which they've had for probably about four years. So, and they production tied that one. But yeah, I'm in the works. So, if I got a little something special that I've been tying for golden dorado, um, aeropima, and stuff like that, it's kind of a multi-species, multi-international fly pattern that I kind of showed somebody two weeks ago for the first time. So we're gonna fish it, and uh, that'll be the next one going in.
1: So tell me a little bit about the research that goes into that. I know you must put lots of hours. And now here, here's where social media probably can be your friend, right?
0: Yeah, it can be. Um, you just got to know, you know, pick and choose. But I've, I've gained a lot of contacts that actually go do this. So they'll tell me what they what they experienced. I watch a lot of YouTube, mm. read a lot of articles. Um, the main thing I do is I watch YouTube just to see how these fish eat. And the style of eating, and I, I, I don't know, I think in my brain I just really understand fish once I see it. I, I, I just resonate and I understand how they eat, and that's a big portion to me, you know. So I just have a lot of contacts, too, a lot of good people that help me out. Anytime I got questions, I can email down to South America, and they'll give me the correct answers that I need.
1: How did you hone your fly tying? Like, is there certain people that you really learned from? Is it just mostly on your own? Is it in clubs? How, how, where'd you learn?
0: Um, you know, all my troll stuff I had some influences. Um Amy and Wilmon and Dick Berge, um, growing up. They helped me out a little bit. But otherwise I was all soft self taught from books. My grandma showed me the ropes and I took it from there. Team say I learned a few things. Um but otherwise I, I'm just I know a lot of good fly tires on um, Brad Bowens taught me a lot. And then I pick up from social media. I look at what other people are doing. And I don't really care your skill level. I'm looking at what you're doing because you might be doing something awesome that I'm not doing. I'm going to take that, you know, and incorporate it to what I do. But otherwise, yeah, I'm, pr- I'm pretty much self-taught.
1: That's, that's bang on because it's an idea more than the execution. If you see it and then you kind of, I don't want to say you make it yours, but you take that idea and, and you build on it.
0: Yeah, definitely. You put your little tweaks and spins on it how you would do it, but, you know, you get a basis for that. Like I said, I don't, I don't care your skill level of fly time. I look at everybody's flies because you might be doing something that I've never thought of that I think is just would complement this fly. So I, I appreciate everything. Everybody's mind works different and you know, it takes more than one mind to build an army. So
1: I'm assuming you got your Renzetti in front of you right now. What are you, what are you working on at the bench?
0: Um, I am actually working on a special bucktail changer for an artist friend of mine. He does Brook trout prints and I'm a huge Brook trout dude. So I'm just whipping up some special um, bucktail changers um, originally designed by Blaine Chocolate that are just killer, killer musky fly patterns. I think this one will have eight or nine sections, um, segments, and it'll move like a real fish. And uh, Yeah, his mind was brilliant, and I just kind of put my little spin on it with bucktail.
1: How long does it take you to tie one of those?
0: One of these will take me about an hour. Now, if I'm tying my standard stuff that I've tied, you know, a couple hundred of them, I can whip out a big 12 to 14 inch multi or three section fly in about 40 minutes, which is pretty good timing. It used to take me about an hour and a half.
1: Oh, absolutely. And what, what do these flies sell for?
0: Um, the singles I sell for about 20 bucks, um, for the big ones, if it's a two multi, you know, just two hook fly, I'll go for 25. Anything above that, really, I dictate on how many flies you're going to buy and how big you want this fly, how much I have to put into it. Um, But otherwise, I don't nickel and dime. I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it for smiles. (laughs) Um, If I can create these beautiful bugs that you can't create, but you can go out and catch this fish that's so hard to catch because of my work, that's all I need. Because there's nothing like a smile like that. You know, because for that moment, that person's happy. No matter what they're going through in life, they're happy. And that's all I care about. So I just try to do it to make my own and buy some fly time materials and some rods, man. But otherwise, I don't nickel and dime. So... It just really depends on if you buy more, you get a better discount.
1: I really think that's a recipe for success when you do it because you love it.
0: it yeah, and, and that's what it is. It's never been about the money. I just want to help people out that can't do what I have the talent to do.
1: So if I'm listening in Florida right now going to fish tarpon, or if I'm listening in Norway going to fish some some Atlantic salmon, you could basically tie a pattern to suit my neck of the woods? 100%.
0: I, 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 I can tie... I don't want to smile and egotistical or cocky with this, but I have faith I can tie any pattern that needs a fish any fisher is. I understand fly tying because I tie for saltwater still. And How would I get a
1: hold of your patterns? What's the best way to do that?
0: Um, best way to do that is contact me on Facebook or Instagram. Send me a message or my email is riplipsmuskyfly at gmail.com. Um, and get a hold of me, man, and just talk to me. And we can customize an order. Anybody can customize an order with me, and we go from there. I make it a real personal experience.
1: That's what I love because usually, let's face it, people are ordering flies when they order flies that are fairly, I don't want to say generic patterns, but when you can really talk to the tire, it's like anything. A painter, if you talk to the artist, they're going to put their spin on it that suits you.
0: Yep, yep. And that's exactly what I take pride in is, and that's what I want every customer I serve to feel like. I want them to get what they want and what they need. That's why I don't like doing a website. That's why I don't like doing stock. Um, and I take pictures. I don't take payment usually. If it's a big order, I take half payment down, but otherwise I don't take payment until the flies are done. I send you a picture, and if you don't like something, you can tell me, and I'll change it um, because I want you to have the best for your money. What do you ship those flies in? You know, I do it pretty cool. I take a box from work. I uh, duct tape two pieces of styrofoam in there, and I put the hooks in the styrofoam because when you open that box, I want you to see a brand-new fly with that hair all puffed out and a feather sitting there. I want you to see how it's coming off the vise. Um, I don't like putting, I don't like damaging the deer hair, putting them in bags. So I take the time to actually ship these things, and you, you know, you open it and they're like it just came off the vise. Everything's still all, all primed out and looking pretty. And I mean, that's part of the whole deal. It's like Christmas morning.
1: I love it. That's awesome. Well, and you know what? I think I would think that anybody that orders your patterns is uh not only getting their money's worth, but uh I don't know that you can put any more heart and soul into anything.
0: Yeah, I take a lot of pride in that and it means a lot to me. I mean, that's what I do it for. I, I put a lot of I, every fly I tie, I I tie it as if I would fish
1: it. I was going to say do you have a day job aside from what you're doing or is this your
0: full-time gig? I no, I wish it was. Um no, I do have a, a, a day job. I'm a project coordinator for a major company. So I work behind a desk 40 hours a week, and then I do this. But hopefully soon that one day I can just chase my dream.
1: Yeah, well, it it sounds to me like you're already doing that.
0: Yeah, I'm trying, man. A few more things, and hopefully I can just be fishing for a living. I don't want to guide. I want to fish. I want to fish and talk.
1: Right. If, If you had a bucket list of waters to hit, what would that look like?
0: I think the first one would be I'd have to go get me a permit, wherever that may be, down in Mexico, Yucatan or something. That's my number one um probably my number two would be the
1: skeena
0: mm. um swinging for steelhead yeah and then after that you know um the keys or belize or something like that but my number two are permanent ski the Skeena steelhead or salmon I, I really i'm a two-hand guy I, re- I go to alaska and swing so i, I really like that but
1: you ever fish for gts or roosters
0: oh i wish i, w- I wish i i wish i wish i wish one day i'll hook a gt i sent the order over to the seychelles last year um, and they just absolutely crush my flies. And after I've seen how hard they hit my flies, I really need to go there. Now, I, I've only done saltwater fishing a couple times. I've done offshore last year. It my first year chasing tarpon. um So I kind of ruined myself there. But I'll, I'll be getting into saltwater more and more now.
1: You see that uh, that YouTube video that was going around where those guys fishing with a flip-flop that they <laughs> tried to imitate a duck on the roosters?
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's crazy. Those roosters
1: are cool. Oh, man. They look like they well, they would take a duck, wouldn't they?
0: Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, that's another fish I'd really like to catch, just catch that migration of roosters and go after them.
1: You tie a lot of flies for uh, big browns?
0: I do. I do. Hmm. Um, I do mostly for myself. I do a lot, I'm do i a big brown hunter at heart. I would rather hunt big browns than anything. Hmm. So, yeah, I do. I do tie a lot of streamers for that for myself and buddies. Um, I don't tell too many of them. But otherwise, yeah, I tie, I tie a lot of that for myself.
1: What about deer hair, mice, or mouse patterns? Because you mentioned maybe some brook trout fish and some brown trout. I always think of mice for some reason with those guys.
0: Yeah, we do a lot of mouse in here at night. I don't use any deer hair of mine. I, I, I tie the master splinter mouse, which is rabbit strip and foam. Okay. Um, it's just kind of a quick, easy fly, and I haven't had it. I've had better success on that than, say, a Moorish mouse or a deer hair mouse.
1: And what's, what's the buoyancy like with that foam? Is it equally as good?
0: Yeah, it, it's really good. It's really nice for swinging. It almost moves like a gurgler. Um, it makes a little bit of noise to it, and that rabbit fur just kind of breathes when you stop it. But the point is, it just depends on how much foam you cut and put on there. Yeah, it floats really well.
1: And all your time on the water for muskies, you need a pretty durable fishing rod. I would imagine that you've probably gone through a few rods over the year. What's your What's your go-to setup?
0: My ultimate favorite rod right now is the new Axiom Two in a 12-weight from TFO. It's brand new this year. Um, they redesigned the Axiom and made it lighter and stronger and better. But right now that that's my go-to rod. Um, I'm an ambassador with TFO. So, you know, that's, but I've tried every rod on the market. And right now my favorite is that Axiom too. Um, it definitely is for all species too.
1: I got my good buddy fish is TFO and that's his go-to. It's good value, isn't it?
0: It is. It, you know, we have something for every situation out there we have a price point for everybody out there from a beginner to a very expert. And you're not going to spend more than $400 on a rod unless it's a switch rod or, you know, anything else. So we have, and we have a great warranty program. You send your rod and we got one to you within seven days.
1: That's great stuff.
0: Yeah, it really is. And that's what, you know, I don't rep companies that I don't believe in. I believe in and support TFO 100% with my heart because they've had my back for a while now and seen what I do. So, it, it, it's a very good relationship. And like I said, I don't support anything. I don't 100% believe in.
1: Yeah. You take a lot of pride in it. And I, I can see that if you're, if you're spending so many hours on the vice, you're going to want the tools, the companies that back you up. And it's the same as on the water, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And definitely you need the tools out there with my elbow problems and hand problems too. I'm very picky about the rods and what I can do with the rods. So that's one thing I have, you know, and, it, and it's nice having, 30, 40 different fly rods to choose from with TFO because I can find anything for my elbow or my hand what I need. Hmm. Um, Yeah, and, you know, it's just a great family company. They're they're really good people.
1: Hey, somebody that struggled with some issues with your elbow, because I I know it sounds sounds crazy, but if you're spending a lot of time fishing for tarpon or any of these big fish, there's no doubt hook sets, and if you have any big days on the water, little tendonitis starts creeping in. You got any tips
0: for us? Yeah, the number one tip I can suggest to everybody, if you start feeling tendonitis. Do not take it lightly. Taking my tendinitis lightly is what gave me a very rare nerve pain disease where I can barely fish and tie anymore. Um if you have tendinitis people, please go to the doctor and do physical therapy. Do everything you can to correct that tendonitis before you beat your arm up and end up like me.
1: Is there any is there any heat or ice that works for that?
0: Yeah, you can buy a tens unit. Um you can buy them at an any. Anywhere now, which is just electrotherapy, um, that can really help it. Depression sleeves, muscle rubs, and, you know, just rest. Um, yeah. Resting that and icing it and just taking care of it. Yeah. When your arm starts hurting, stop.
1: What about, uh, this? and this will sound like I'm just talking crazy here, but what about, <laughs> I was going to say fly tying injuries, but I don't, I'm sure it happens. But have you had anything happen at the vice? That you're like, oh, man, what did I just do?
0: Yeah, um, I, I t- my tendonitis isn't just from fishing, it's from repetitive motion on the bike. Mm. So when your arm starts hurting or your hand starts hurting or something starts hurting, you need to stop and rest. And if it keeps doing it, you need to go to the right doctor and you need to figure that out because it can be a very serious issue with the overuse. And you can ruin yourself permanently.
1: What about uh, when you're sitting at the vice? I know I personally I have a lot of back issues with that because I, I'm not always – the posture definitely suffers sometimes at the vice, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, if I, you know, if I spend a couple weeks on the vice, my back gets really sore. But otherwise, I try to sit as straight up as I can. Um, I have a lumbar support pad um, when I'm really going lumbar support. But, yeah, back huh. issues are – and that's one of those things when your back starts hurting, get up, and stop.
1: you sitting on a chair that's got wheels on it?
0: Um, at my one-fly tying desk on the wood floor I do, and then in my living room where I tie trout stuff is just a standard chair. Yeah. But where I have my musky lab, I'm on rolling wheels because I have a whole three walls where I roll to to get out my flash, my bucktail, my feathers, and, and stuff like that.
1: Have you ever stood to tie?
0: I have. It's kind of weird and foreign to me. I can do it, but um, it's I, I have to sit down for it.
1: Yeah, I tried that the other day. It felt, felt weird, but I, I could see it. You know, if, if a guy could make that work or a gal could make that work, it would be a lot easier on your back.
0: Yeah, I used to tie on like a bar that was, you know, four and a half feet tall or so. It was bar, bar height. I would stand. I was getting used to that. Um, few of my demos I have to stand for, but otherwise, I like to sit down.
1: Cool. Have you got some videos on YouTube that listeners could check out?
0: I have no videos out there. I have no videos as of yet. Um, I, I don't really do much photography and videos, but I do have some guys working with me now. So hopefully, we can put some content out there this summer of just different tips and you know, just fishing out there.
1: Well, I'd sure love to watch you tie. I don't get down your neck of the woods very often, but uh, it it would be nice. I always find I learn a lot when I watch a really good tire.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. And, you know, I, I, when I do all my demos, I, I try to teach. That's my main focus. It's not, nothing else but to teach. Right? I take questions. I do it slow. So. But yeah, in the future here, we're going to be working on videos, and hopefully, you know, maybe this winter we'll whip out a whole bunch of videos and put them on YouTube.
1: Well, I'll tell you, you're a huge inspiration to me, and I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it sounds like you've uh, you you truly use fly fishing and fly tying as not only therapy but just uh, like a meditation. I, I, I that's really uh, that's really motivating.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it, man. You know, fly fishing it's not I call it a lifestyle. I live the lifestyle of fly fishing.
1: That's Brian Bergeson from Rip Lips Muskie. Brian, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot. It was my pleasure being on. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you would like to hear on the show. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.